Welcome to this episode of A Good Service on All Other Lines, a story and song podcast written by David Head and Matt Glover. This is a narrative show told in five parts, so if you're joining us partway through, we'd recommend going back and listening from the beginning. Because it's a stage show we've shoehorned into a podcast format. For the final time. (laughs) Okay. The story of the train carriage. Clarence. About the only thing Clarence liked about his life as a train carriage was snow days. He liked snow days very much. The first hint of a snowflake and everything came to a grinding, inexplicable halt. And he got the day off. That was bliss. Clarence, left alone to stew in his own bitterness because there was little else he did like about being a train carriage. He hated the monotony, the same ugly provincial town stations and empty fields every day, the same graffiti, everything the same. He hated the people who travelled on him, the suited and booted commuters first thing in the morning and in the evening, crammed inside him and standing all over him with scant regard for his comfort. He hated the emptiness of the weekdays, when it was too late to go to work and sadly too early to go home and he still had to be dragged along with all his seats vacant. And he hated late nights, the last one of the day. Like right now at 23.47, when he was full of drunks and weirdos, the restless and the displaced. Mostly, though, Clarence didn't like the feeling he was somehow letting his family down. They never said he was, but he couldn't shake his suspicion. He thought moving to be part of the National Rail Network instead of running local routes might have sparked some pride, but it hadn't. You see, Clarence came from quite a long line of train carriages. On his mother's side, his family were freight trains. Good, strong carriages, proud working-class stock, beacons of British industry. And his father's side, well, what a lineage that was. There were carriages who'd been part of the original Great Western, a couple who'd been part of the British Royal Train. His grandfather had even been a part of the Orient Express, though he went to great lengths to stress that all deaths on board him had been entirely natural. And then, of course, there was his famous auntie. His namesake, in fact. Clarabel. One of the most famous train carriages of all, thanks to her association with Thomas. Everyone's favourite fucking tank engine. Oh, people never stopped going on about Clarabel and Thomas and all of the gang and how great the railways were back then. Yeah, well, maybe if they hadn't used up all the coal, it would still be great now, he thought bitterly. Besides, apparently he was a real prick behind the scenes. And the way they treated diesel engines was clearly indicative of systemic racism. Fuck Thomas, he thought to himself. Fuck them all. Fuck Edward. Fuck Henry. Fuck Gordon, fuck James, and fuck Percy. But, most of all, he thought, fuck the fat controller. And then he turned his Wi-Fi off, just to ruin someone's night. This show will be terminating at the next stop.
story of Louise Marigold. Part two. Between tomorrow and today. Louise Marigold was going to be too late. Not much had changed. And yet, everything had. That fateful evening after missing the train, Louise had run to Jack's flat, thrown herself into his arms and told him everything. And he'd understood because, of course he had. And she'd felt her heart swell with so much love she was sure it would burst. And she'd cried and she'd kissed him. And they'd had sex that made Louise feel like a musician, so physically unambitious but emotionally fulfilled. And their lives had slowly taken on a new shape. A shape that from the outside would look familiar. But from the inside, for Louise, was very different. The same friends, the same activities, but with a different feeling. Louise had stopped constantly waiting for things to go wrong. She no longer needed a sexy nightlight to keep the bedroom of her mind monster-free. Instead, she'd slowly drawn back the curtains to find she'd been hiding from shadows all along. Everything felt pretty good. Except, of course, the fact that she was running late. Jack had suggested they go to an evening of music and spoken word, even though neither one of them was keen. When she finally arrived, she'd missed the first performers, a talented yet humble story and song duo, who were apparently recording a podcast. Jack just laughed. Taking the stage was the next act, a young singer-songwriter with an acoustic guitar. She vaguely recognised the singer, but couldn't quite place him. He had a floppy fringe that hung down across his eyes from time to time, and high cheekbones that gave his features an oddly delicate appearance. Where did she know him from, she wondered. And then he began speaking. And he told the audience a story. It was about a young boy with a broken heart and a flair for the dramatic. A boy who was exhausted of duelling demons he couldn't see. Of waking with a weight on his chest he just couldn't seem to move. A boy swimming against the current in a sea of sadness, constantly afraid of being swept just too far out. And in a moment of weakness and madness and melodrama, he'd made a rash decision. A stupid decision, the singer said. Despite his attempts at walking the line between fact and fiction, it seemed pretty clear to Louise that the singer was talking about himself. If she was honest, she wasn't sure about this story at all. Discussing something that sounded a lot like clinical depression at length seemed a pretty dubious way to end a show. Not very uplifting. The singer told them how the boy had taken himself off one evening to a train station to do something he would definitely regret. He paused for a second in his telling. For effect or to compose himself, it wasn't clear. But the shame he obviously felt seemed to radiate like a star in the night sky. Louise focused on his cheekbones and felt the sense of recognition grow stronger. There was a wry grin from the singer. It was a shit plan, he said. Poorly thought through. He'd been late. Very, very late. Late to the point that you would be forgiven for thinking that maybe, just maybe he didn't want to do this at all. Because the boy was normally always on time. He wasn't, the singer stressed, one of those people who were continually late and tried to play it off as some kind of charming character quirk. Louise bristled at this, couldn't help but take it slightly personally. So, the boy had arrived far too late and had found himself sprinting onto the platform as the train pulled away. A young woman running in front of him, shouting incoherent nonsense at the carriage. Louise had a sinking feeling she knew who that woman was.
The pair had stood there, defeated. The woman had spoken. We're too late. Too fucking late. Not necessarily, he'd replied. Because in the darker corners of his mind, he had disagreed. There were other options. Other ways to reach his destination. But the woman had misunderstood him. She turned and stared at him, utter delight sparking in her eyes and making her radiant. A breathtaking kind of crazy, the boy said. Louise didn't mind that at all. She'd laughed with a joy that the boy couldn't begin to understand, and grabbed him and told him he was right. It was never too late to let love in, she declared, stunning him with this embarrassing display of greetings card philosophy. Nothing was that simple. As she was leaving, she garbled some other things, ending with, Take care of yourself. Without meaning to buy into her saccharine sentimentality, the boy had let himself feel her words. Just a little bit. A stranger, sincerely wishing him well. After she'd left, he'd gone and stood very close to the edge of the tracks. It was exactly midnight now. The brief moment between tomorrow and today. An indelible marker in time, forever dividing things into before and after. Let love in, she'd said. And he wondered if she was right after all. Because at some point long ago, he'd stopped being sad and he'd become numb. Unbearably numb. So afraid to feel pain, he'd closed himself off to everything. In trying to protect himself, he'd imprisoned himself. His plan, the outcome of which he wasn't sure about anymore, was maybe more about escaping that prison somehow. About finding some way to feel anything or be somewhere. He found himself thinking about the woman. He wondered what demons she'd been fighting and seemed to be defeating. He was, he would readily admit, the kind of narcissist that was always convinced that his was the only journey beset upon by sadness and misery and pain. That everyone else seemed to travel through life much easier than he did. A good service on all other lines. But the boy knew he was wrong. It wasn't easy ever. And it wouldn't become easy just because someone had said something pretty. But he could choose how he faced it all. So he made a choice and he stepped back from the edge. And then the song started. Please don't stand too near the edge Cause I worry that your poise isn't what it ought to be And if you won't do it, do it for yourself Do it for He sang them a set of songs full of dreams, feelings of guilt and redemption. And Louise couldn't help but marvel at the role she'd played in this stranger's story. How she'd been right on time all along. Finally, the evening began to draw to a close. And the singer told them he had one last song to sing. 
one last part of the boy's tale. And music began that Louise would have sworn she half remembered from a dream. Desensitized, compartmentalized, can't call that feeling. Call that feeling. It's okay to be unsure and to want something more, to, to still be dreaming. On that fateful midnight, as the boy from the story had stood at the station, he'd looked around and tried to open himself up to the world. He'd watched the crazy woman disappearing into the underground, hoped she wasn't too late. He saw a couple embracing, like soulmates reunited after years apart. He wondered about the train he'd missed and what it had carried. Late night drunks howling at the moon. Lost property and newfound love. Broken hearts mending after terrible losses. Letting go of the ghosts that haunt them. Shit Wi-Fi. And Louise had listened entranced. And the singer said, To be honest, I don't have much of a point to make here other than to say that the bad times will get a lot better and inevitably the good times will get a bit worse. But that's just how the journey goes. All we can do is ride it out and make a choice to try and enjoy it while it lasts. And in the end, we'll all be all right. Fucking call that a conclusion, thought Louise, feeling more than a little disappointed. She'd sat through five episodes of this meta-joke bullshit. What sort of an ending was that? Then, she realised the point was she could choose. So, she decided it was a happy one. Compartmentalised Can't call that feeling Call that feeling It's okay to be unsure And to want something more To still be dreaming Still be dreaming. I know that I'm charmed, but I can still be harmed. I still need healing. I still need healing. Nothing really. 
only matters my naivety Left in tatters but I'll still seek meaning I'll still seek meaning Open my mind hoping the rest Following time and I think I'm feeling I think I'm feeling Open my mind Hoping the rest Will follow in time And I, I think I'm feeling I think I'm feeling I think I'm feeling now reached its final destination. All change, please. All change. A Good Service and All Other Lines is recorded at the Abbey Road Institute. It's written and performed by David Head and Matt Glover. Produced by Carlos Briscio, David Head and Matt Glover. Sound, engineering and mixing by Carlos Briscio. Cello and backing vocals performed by Dom Main. Additional vocal talent is provided by Claire Reavy, Michael Rossi and Susie Jacobson. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a good review. You can find us on all social media platforms at The David and Matt. This podcast is supported with public funds from Arts Council England. Thank you for listening.